0: Good evening. I'm attorney Vince Davis, and this is Divorce and Family Law Talk Radio. And on the show with us is co-host, attorney Raj Matani. Attorney Slavea Ankolova is on maternity leave, and she is due any day. So let's wish her the best. This evening, Raj and I are going to be talking about custody and visitation and We're also going to talk a little bit about child support. We're also going to try to take a few calls from our listeners. So before we get started, um, let me see if Raj is on the line with us. Raj, are you there this evening? Good, how are you?
1: I'm doing well, thank you.
0: Raj, before we begin, and I know I've asked you to do this before. But I, do me a favor and tell us a little bit about yourself, some personal and pro- professional background stuff. Sure.
1: Um, so, for some of the listeners who are new to the show, my name is Raj Matani. I'm a family law associate with the Law offices of Vincent Davis and Associates. I've been a family law attorney since 2013, focusing predominantly on family law. Before I came to Vince's office, I had a solo practice based out of Orange County, dealing with uh, mostly low-income and middle-income individuals uh, in the Orange County area. Since joining Vince's office, I've elevated my practice to uh, cater to high-net-worth individuals and um, professional athletes and celebrities on a prof- on a personal level, uh, I'm born and raised in Orange County, uh from parents of Indian heritage, first person in my family to become a lawyer. So, I'm sort of treading new new waters here and uh trying to bring great professional service to the people of of Los Angeles and Orange County.
0: Very good, very good. Um just to tell the listeners about a little bit about myself. Um this December, I'm going to have going to be a lawyer for 30 years, and for the majority of my practice, I've practiced in in family law and divorce related matters uh, for the last several years. Um, and I am also a graduate of the Jerry Spence Trial Lawyers College, and that college uh, trains attorneys to represent people in trial matters. In family law and divorce cases, it is extremely important that you have a trained trial attorney representing you in court. The most important thing is there is a jury of one, the judge, making all of the decisions in your case. So it is extremely important that you have a trained professional who not only knows about family law, but also has been trained in trial lawyer skills and trial lawyer advocacy skills. Raj, tonight I think that we're going to talk about uh, custody, visitation, and child support. Um, Tell me about those things.
1: Well, it's a a big area. It's probably one of the most Contested issues when it comes to family law matters, and that's—it's understandable, you know. When parties have a child involved, the priority in their lives—and actually, according to the code—is—is is their children, and so parties tend to become highly contentious about the children and uh, want to fight over it uh, considerably. And so when it comes to pleading one's case for whether they should be the primary custodial parent or the other, other party should be responsible in other ways and visitation, uh, you need to be very aware, each party needs to be very aware of what the burdens of proof and responsibilities are when they go to court each time, both pre-judgment and post-judgment, and how that affects uh, what, what orders the court might make.
0: What do you think the most important thing with respect to custody and visitation is when you're preparing a case to go to trial?
1: So, first of all, when initiating a case, you want to be very considerate of what your end objective is. So, for instance, when you're filing your divorce matter or your paternity matter, if you have minor children... There's, there's going to be an initial pleading about what you want the custody and visitation to be. When clients are in my office, I always ask them about what is the nature of their relationship with their children and what do they intend for the relationship to be with the other parent. And more often than not, they always say, "Well, the other person's a good guy or gal. They're a good parent to my kid, but I want to have them all the time." And you know, the children are sort of used as ammunition to to inflict pain on the other person. But what the court is going to look at, and this is in Family Code Section 3040, is who is the parent that is going to be most likely to facilitate a frequent and continuing relationship between the child and the other parent? And what that means for everybody else is, or what it means for the parties is, you have to put your personal feelings aside and put the priorities of the child first and make sure that they have as normal continuing and frequent of a relationship as they can with the other parent uh, obviously there are often factors of uh, you know if if the other party has substance abuse or if there's allegations of child abuse these these kinds of things will matter but uh the first the first exchange is about who is the parent who is going to provide frequent and continuing contact with the
0: other party. Now, you mentioned Family Code 3040. What is that?
1: So, Family Code Section 3040, and specifically Section A1, talks about what factors the court will consider in granting one parent primary, physical, or custodial time uh, with respect to the children. Um, And it specifically states that in granting an order to either parent, the court shall consider among other factors which parent is more likely to allow the child a frequent continuing contact with the non-custodial parent. So it's it's all about the person who's going to make sure that whatever visitation orders are in place, whatever uh, custodial time is to be exchanged, that the person who has primary custody is going to assure that all of these requirements are met.
0: Thing the court looks at when making a determination about custody and visitation?
1: No, and I'm glad you asked that, Vince. So the next step in assessment of which party is more likely to get their request granted, um, there are two factors and it sort of depends on what stage of the litigation you're on. If you are what's called pre-judgment, meaning before you're at a final order of the court, the standard that the court will use is what's commonly referred to as the best interest standard. Um, This is sort of a a loose standard, but that has been guided by a few cases. But essentially, the parties are presenting uh, equity arguments as to why they believe their position for custody and visitation would be in the child's best interest.
0: That's, That's a very difficult thing to do sometimes.
1: Yeah, it is. It is a very difficult thing, and um, what complicates it further is that when people are in the initial stages of the, of, of the process of either divorce or paternity, their definition of what's in the best interest of the child is often motivated by, you know, their emotions that are tied to the proceeding. Uh, what's critical is that you take an objective step back and realize that, uh, you know, the child's interests are first and foremost, and, um Uh, You know, there's a variety of factors that the court can can consider in determining what's in those best interests. So, for instance, where the child lives, uh, what kind of housing situation they might have, where they're going to school. um, And sometimes even the differences between the two schools, if one parent has a better school than the other one, that can be an issue for, for contention. So it's all these roundabout factors that go into what makes up a child's life. And what's the best situation for them to be in that the parties will effectively uh, litigate over uh, in determining what's the best interest?
0: You know, do you think that uh, there is a bias towards giving women custody of a child?
1: They, I feel like it used to be that way. Um, I feel, in my experience recently, it's it's really it really goes to the party who can best present their case. So, if you're if you're a father and and you're working hard and you have a a home to r- provide for your children and uh, a a setup in which that allows them to thrive, there's no reason why a, a father couldn't be granted uh, primary physical custody or, or have the judge decide in their in their way. Um what tends to happen most often is that societal factors of how children are raised, typically women are the ones who are at home or who are doing the primary uh, caretaking. Um, And by no reason other than that's the decision that the parties had made when they were in the relationship, that they want to maintain that role and continue that role going forward. And when the court is looking at who's most available to care for the children uh, for a majority of the time, by the simple fact that uh, the wife or mother is either not working or was the primary caretaker, um, sometimes that can sway the court in their favor.
0: But if I were a client, a male client, asking you, Raj, is is there a preference in the judge's mind to give the child uh, to the to the mother? What would you say?
1: I would say no. I would say no. If you can effectively present your arguments as to why your situation is is better than the mother's situation, then there's no reason why a judge couldn't couldn't sway your way. Um, there is a small caveat in that it's it's the job of of the attorney to understand their judge uh, and look at the judge's history if, if available or look at their profile and there's some of these things that are available um, to us and see if they have a history of deciding one way or the other. But uh, in my experience, especially recently, if a father can effectively argue his case and uh, has the assistance of a quality attorney, then there's, there's no reason why they could not emerge uh, victorious.
0: Have you seen that happening more and more in our court system where fathers are getting more custodial time?
1: Yes, most definitely. Um it's not only in my cases, it's 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 in other times as well. But what's critical is that uh the advocacy of the father needs to be very high. Um more often than not it's the it's the women who bring the emotion to the to the table who uh, bring arguments about how they've been the primary care- caretaker for a majority of the child's life, and what is imperative on the fathers is to uh, not sort of give up that fight too easily, is to um, show the court through their actions and not just their words, through their actions that they are more than willing to participate in the child's upbringing and uh, you know foster a, a strong living situation for them.
0: What typical orders do you see judges make in custody and visitation cases?
1: So they they go a couple of different ways. Um, when making initial requests, uh, sort of the standard division of time is to um, alternate weekends, uh, do some sort of visitation during the midweek, and some sort of on-year, off-year splitting of the holidays. That's a pretty standard order that uh, that judges judges grant or most parties agree to in a child custody case.
0: I see. You know, before we uh, go on to uh, what the custody and visitation uh, discussion and perhaps even talk about child support, um, I'm going to take a call from one of our listeners. Uh, it's area code 818, ending in 3-6. Hello, you're on Hello? With, hello, you're on with Attorney Vince Davis, Attorney Raj Matani, Divorce and Family Law Talk radio show. Hello, hi,
2: Vince, um, Mr. Raj. My name is Helen.
0: Hi, Helen. Did you want to ask us a question this evening or tell us a story?
2: I was calling in to um share a my my story um that I had recently gone through and is still in the process of go ahead um about uh a year and five months ago I was um I had received a phone call from a lady who, I'm so sorry, one second, a lady who claimed to be a social worker. Um, This lady, and I have a son uh, with special needs. He is mild to moderate, and I have um, a little girl who is nine. My son is 12, and my daughter is uh, nine. Um, At the time, I was told from this person that, I had two options um, because my son had accused me of allegedly hurting him physically and his sister. And if he told that I would continue to hurt them, um, straight away I was really frightened by the phone call in general. Um, But she proceeded to tell me that I had two options. Um, The first was that either I gave my children to the state, that um, police would come pick them up, Or that I would uh, be able to give them to their father for the time being, throughout the duration of what was going to be an investigation. I was also told that um, there was a a warrant out for my arrest, so that I could, so for me not to interfere with anything and not contact, you know, um, XYZ and so on and so forth and i told her i mean i fell apart straight away and i told her that i absolutely did and do no such thing and that you know to please let me know what it was that i could do and couldn't do and that i would never consider giving my children to state. Um and that you know i would you know have i would give them to dad for the time being believing that it would be resolved and straightened out straight away and um, about six months went by, um, from the window here was April 24th, 2013, um, until September 10th, 2014. I was given a few orders through this uh, social worker stating that I needed to terminate child support straight away since the children were going to be with their father for the time being, which I did. And I, I went immediately to the actual headquarters for the child support department and did that. Then I was asked to also take anger management classes as well as parenting classes. Um, at the time I was so distraught and I did everything um to do whatever it is they were asking, she was asking of me. So I ended up taking anger management classes and parenting classes um, for a duration of almost like a month and a half, close to two months. Um, and I got certificates for those. I was later asked to also return about uh, three thousand dollars in child support arrears that was given to me. And I did so at the time I was so, again, emotionally um, broken that the money wasn't something that I was even considering putting up a fight in any way. I just wanted my children back as I always had primary custody. Um, So I I gave father the money. I ended up later on also transferring my son's Social Security um, benefits along with another check of about $4,000. So along the way, I began feeling like this just isn't right. Um, My whole world was upside down. I was literally alienated from my children, and all and any decisions were made through the father. And this social worker insisted that... um, to just you know communicate with dad, communicate with her, communicate with the dad's um, at the time girlfriend. Now they are married. Um, I received finally. Um, well, I should backtrack a tiny bit. I'm so sorry. Um, over the course of that time, again, I did everything that was asked of me, and it got to the point where I began recognizing voices and certain the way certain things were being said. It just all seemed suspicious at one point until finally I ended up receiving a very thick packet through the mail of what appeared to be, to me, I'm not a professional, paperwork that was asking me to sign over um, all in any rights that any parent can sign over with regards to their children emotionally, physically, um, spiritually, everything, everything, everything. You know, the father had the say for everything. And the paperwork read what I was pretty much living on top of, you know, my visitations would be XYZ if dad wanted and if the children wanted. It was a very brutal way of life, Um, and I just felt very strong that something wasn't right. I ended up um, reaching out to Vince, and with the help and effort of another close friend that absolutely knew what he was doing, he just guided me in the direction of Vince, Um, and right before that, I reached out to a different friend who used to be a, a, a social worker, and I said, look, I'm not sure what I'm dealing with, but this this supposed social worker refuses to come meet me. Any opportunity that I say, please, please, I'm begging, by all means, come meet me. Give me the time of day. I will come to you. Send a different social worker. Something isn't adding up, but, you know, please come meet me. There's no way I'm going to sign this paperwork without meeting you Mm -hmm. I can't I just can't do it um and so I told my friend the whole story and she ended up just telling me that I she said because I reached out to her uh, late in the evening and went to her told her everything and she told me you know you need to go home and get some rest but something looks bogus I went home and the next day sure enough I was informed that this social worker through the department of DCFS 100% did not exist. And I was then, um, she uh, proceeded to tell me that because I was in complete shock and disbelief and she picked me up and took me to the police department where we filed a a official police report. And from there, I was very, very, very blessed. Um, I called vince and i not only was able to contact him through his office but i actually was able to contact him you know i was pers- i was given his 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 cell phone number which is very unheard of and because i think of the severity of my case i was just treated like solid gold um and i say that but my kids are treated like solid gold uh gold first and foremost um it was a Sunday, and Vince was, I believe, at the time, Mr. Vince Davis was at the time helping move a friend, um, if I'm correct. Um, and he took time to not just hear me out on the phone, I've shaken up, as I still was, and I rant on, but he met with me um, on a Sunday and straight away has him and his offices have been front and center uh, in representing my kids, myself, and being in the forefront of everything. Um, We walked into court um, on an emergency ex parte and everything I think that could have been rectified was my children were returned to me immediately um with the representation of John, uh, Mr. Vince they were just returned to me um and they are now permanent i have permanent sole legal and physical custody the father ended up having um the court just saw through everything um, and he has uh supervised visitations with the children and it started out initially um, the first and third weekend of the month that he had eight hours each day. However, that has gone down uh, because of his behavior at some of the visitations and um, we're in the process. We're still in the process. Um, long-term, he, there he is also um, – it was – I'm so sorry – there are also criminal, the criminal investigation is still open, and over time, certain things have also come to light, and it was announced at our last court hearing that not only was there the ongoing criminal investigation, but Department of Child Protective Services also officially had started conducting their own investigation against father and it is believed that the person that I was dealing with that was claiming to be a social worker was his now wife, a girlfriend at the time, now wife. Um, they got married about five days before the big court date. But, um, yes, uh, along the way, Mr. Vincent Davis and Miss Levea have been a solid and as amazing as I could ever ask for. And that's my story.
0: Helen, thank you very much. Just so the listeners are clear, your ex, the father of your children, uh, perpetrated a fraud on you to gain custody of your children. And then we had to go back to the family law court on several occasions, um, to make sure that you had full custody of your children and to make sure that he had monitored visitation.
2: That is how many, correct. Time,
0: how many times did we have to go back to court altogether?
2: I want to say about two times. However, the last the last uh, time that we went was for a PPA evaluation, which was supposed to be for two days. However, it was such a complex um, case that it ended up going for four days. So you guys were, you guys have been there every step of the way. Overall, I want to say maybe six, six times. But all in all, we have always walked away hands down with the upper hand um, in regards to the children's best interest and
0: what we've done. Well, Helen, thank you for calling in. I appreciate it. And uh, we'll be talking soon.
2: Thank you so much, and I thank you guys again. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye.
0: Bye. Hey, Raj? Yes. Um, she mentioned something about a PPA. Can you explain to our listeners what that is?
1: Sure. Uh, a PPA is what's known as a parenting plan assessment and it's done through the courts to have a trained professional in, uh, who has a master's in therapy or is hired by the court to assess, uh, the nature of the claims by either of the parties. So you'll, both parties will go in, have an evaluation done by the parenting plan evaluator, um, and then that evaluator will meet with you, and sometimes the children, and then give a recommendation to the court at your next court hearing as to what this neutral party upon their own investigation of claims by by the litigants as to what their recommendation would be with regard to child custody and child visitation.
0: so the parents end up meeting with someone at court,
1: yeah, the parents will go would go to the courthouse and in de- a designated Uh, courtroom or court meeting space within the, within the court's building and uh, sit down and present their side of, of the facts to this uh, neutral evaluator uh, who is not the judge, who is only there looking at the claims of both of the parties and the specific events that created the custody situation. And then based on, on those reactions, uh, present an, uh, a conclusions and evaluation to the court, which the court doesn't necessarily have to go with, but it's highly influential.
0: What if, uh, well, when the parents meet with this person, do they, does this person write a report or something?
1: Yeah, they'll they'll take notes throughout the proceeding. They will write down what happened during the evaluation, what questions were asked what answers were provided, what uh, each party's claims were on specific events, and based on their inference or evidence that was provided at that time, uh, make conclusions as to which parent is more likely to facilitate visitation or be the primary caretaker um, of the children.
0: I see, What if the report comes back and it's, it's against me, and uh I wanted custody. What what do I what can I do? You can challenge the conclusions of the evaluation.
1: Uh there's a couple ways to do that. You can um of course call the evaluator and bring into question what um what events took place during the evaluation, what questions they asked, what answers you provided and what their conclusions were. And you can also bring in alternative evidence just as you would in a normal custody hearing and present Contrary or uh, supporting evidence to your to your side of the case,
0: okay, so I can indeed cite the the recommendations by this evaluator,
1: yes, like I said, the conclusions of the evaluator are not locked in stone and going to be the exact orders of the court. There's still discretion by the judge to follow along with these evaluators' conclusions or or not, and it's the job of the litigant and potentially an attorney if you have one to poke holes into uh you know the conclusions of the evaluator or their impression of events and persuade the court to make a decision in your favor
0: now how would how would uh how would you approach an evaluator who had made a recommendations against your client you'd first put her on the put her or him on the witness stand and then what would your strategy be
1: well then the strategy would be to go through the specific events that that led them to their conclusion so for example if there's a specific incident or several incidents alleged between alleged by the mother against the father let's say and those are the incidents by which mother believes she should given primary custody or her, or her uh, motion should be granted. Um, I would go event by event and ask the evaluator what factors they considered, what what their impression of events were. they were told by both the mother and the father. And then if I have uh, further evidence on my own side to present to the court, I would also present those things and ask if the evaluator saw them, if they understood them, if they were made aware of it, and um, basically chipping away piece by piece about all the facts and factors they use to make their conclusion.
0: Before the evaluation takes place, what would you advise your client going into the evaluation?
1: So the number one thing actually is not as much the specific events that took place, but how you present those facts to the evaluator. So, what I would first coach my clients on doing is presenting themselves in a calm, controlled, and uh, coherent manner. Uh, more often than not, what happens is, is that one party becomes overwhelmed by the emotions of the situation or vehemently proving their side and loses sight of the fact that there's a third party there, this evaluator, who has no real history of the case except for you know, the paperwork. And they need to be told in an understandable way, in a coherent way as to, you know, why your side or the other side is more correct. And so the first thing that that I would counsel my clients on doing is getting their facts down, being sequential, sticking to the story, and presenting it in a coherent fashion. Um, And then the second thing is to explain to them um, sort of their passion for their children, um, why they believe that they are, are... Best able to pro- provide for their children, why their um, request for custody should be the one that the court goes with.
0: What do you think the number one thing the evaluators look at?
1: In my opinion, the the number one thing the evaluators look at, they're only meeting you for that. There's there's two types of PPAs. There's a PPA one and a PPA two, and um, the difference is one last a single day, the other last multiple days. The number one factor that I believe they look at is, is the demeanor and who presents the sto- their story the best. So if if you're coming to the evaluation and not uh, providing excuses or cover-ups or trying to explain away the the situations that led to the case, that led to the evaluation, but simply presenting your side of the story and about how you are the best person to take care of your children and how you have the best resources for them then that's what the evaluator is going to consider um the evaluator is there to remove the emotions of the party and simply look at the facts so if you can present facts that substantiate your position then that's what the evaluator
0: is going to be most interested in okay um i'm going to take another call from our audience area code uh 951 Number ending in two, seven. Good evening. You're on with it? attorney, you're on with attorney <clears throat> Vince Davis and Raj Matani, uh, divorce and family talk radio show. How are you? Hi, how
3: are you? Uh, I'm okay. I could be better. Um, my name is Mary. So I, um, actually I filed for divorce in March of last year and, um, and the other uh, the respondent has not filed a response, and um, from what I was told, I'm able to do a default. Um, however, yesterday uh, uh, my uh, soon-to-be ex and his daughter and a few people came into our home and took a lot of furnishings that doesn't is is marital property, and I needed to find out. Um, Well, I was also told at a a courthouse today that I'm able to do a um, not only default judgment, but an order for um, judgment. But my question is, um, what he actually took the marital um, furnishings uh, that he wasn't supposed to, the judgment of order, would that also fall into like a contempt or so?
0: Raj, what do you think? Can you answer her question?
1: Sure. So let me ha- handle the initial part of your question, which was procedurally, what can you do now that you filed for divorce and he didn't respond? So uh, when did you file initially? Uh,
3: March um, 9th of last
1: year. Of 2015? Correct, yes. And did you uh, serve those papers on the opposing party?
3: Yes. Uh uh-huh. He had not even um, file a response.
1: And you personally serve them and you have proof of that?
3: Oh, I didn't personally. It was someone else. But yes, behind and I filed it in court.
1: Okay. So the the way it works is if if the opposing party doesn't respond within 30 days of being personally served with the divorce papers, you can file uh, for default judgment against the other party. And there's a a long list of papers um, that you have to compile to make this make that part go forward. So, yes, you're 100% correct, and whoever told you that was also correct, and that you could file for default. Um, now let's go to the second part of your question as to what can you do about the marital property that he took
3: mm-hmm.
1: since the time that you filed, right?
3: Correct. Yes.
1: So when you initially file for a divorce, there's standard restraining orders in place that prevent either party from... Changing any status of what could be community property. So if you had a house, for instance, you're not supposed to sell it without notice or an order of the court. And especially when it relates to items within the house, if some of it could be community property, neither party is to dispose of them unless there's agreement between the parties. Right. So you can do a you can do a couple of things. Um, you can file for an ex parte and ask that these things immediately be returned to you, or uh, you can litigate the divorce and do the default, and once the property is allocated to you require that they be returned to you so um there's a couple of, of things that you can do to help get your property back um, but the first step is to is to file for default and make sure you uh continue in the process of your divorce
3: well when i um oh thank you for the information but uh when I did go to uh court today um the Uh, it was a facilitator, she stated that the next party, they normally do not grant um, unless it was in, say, for instance, the custody, a child has to, you know, some dire need and their life is at stake. Or um, say, for instance, I'm actually, um, this is very, how do I say, eminent or I should say, um, how do I say it, emergency order for, um, or they're going to, you know, like
1: yeah, uh, if there,
3: I'm sorry, go ahead,
1: so the reason why they're saying that on and this gets into ex parte uh a little bit, and not to get too deep into it, but in an ex parte, you're trying to ask for two things: you're trying to ask for emergency rele- emergency relief the day that you come to court, and you're asking them to have a hearing that same day, um, mm-hmm. what the court needs to consider are whether the things that you're requesting be resolved need to be litigated that day or if they can be properly adjudicated within uh, statutory timelines for filing. So normally you can get a hearing within 16 court days of a request. Okay. Um, and when you go in for an ex parte, what the court's going to decide is, do we need to decide this today or can we wait 16 days because there's not such as much of an emergency? So okay. if there's not as much of an emergency, the court will set it for a regular hearing within 16 days, and you can litigate whether or not this property should have been removed and whether it should be returned to you or it should go back to him and, and those kinds of issues. So you can still file it. You might technically lose the ex parte, which means you have a hearing in 16 days, but it still guarantees you a hearing to adjudicate those issues.
3: Okay. Um, there's actually two or three more parts to this as well. Um Now, um, we have a house, and there's uh, our real estate agent just told me today that there's an offer, and we're going to most likely take it. However, um, my husband was in, like, a rehab or what have you, and Mm -hmm. his daughter went to go pick him up, um, and now, and that's the same, of course, the same daughter who had um, got the items yesterday. But now I'm trying to contact, you know, my husband, but he has a phone, of course, you know, turned off, but um, not shut down off, but turned off. And now all the everything has to go through his daughter. And I don't, you know, really understand why is there um, and the real estate agent can't even get a hold of him either. So Mm -hmm. is there, um, I mean. How do I get him to, you know, respond to all this? Since there's an offer already made, and we have to go sign papers tomorrow. Right. So, how do I resolve that?
1: So some of some of that burden is kind of on you. Um, I'm assuming this house is community property, correct?
3: Yes. Uh huh.
1: You guys brought it together. Both your names are on title. Yes. Okay. So yes. in order for okay. the, any sale, in order for any sale to proceed, they're going the escrow and the court is going to need both of you to sign off on it um mm-hmm. and so if you can't you basically have to do the best you can to try and find him and and uh get him to sign the papers um, if you can't do that uh, you know then you can get into uh, other emergency issues um in terms of getting the house sold if you need the money for it or whatever it might be but um mm-hmm sort of the burden's kind of on you to make sure you get him there and get him to sign off. Um otherwise it becomes a big litigation issue as to the house itself. So now I is would, there, no, please go ahead, please go ahead.
3: I was gonna ask uh is there a I mean, because we we there's no restraint orders or anything and this all just like, you know, came up out of the blue that he wanted to move out and so on. I mean when he got out, I thought, you know, of course we're going to talk and so on. But now it's like everything has to go through his daughter. And mm-hmm. do I actually? Um, is there a way that, like, the courts or or would have to, you know, make him like talk to me because I I'm in awe about this and yeah, you know, about this situation. I'm in a three thousand square foot home with hardly any furnishings now and with four dogs. So I'm like, um, I'm not sure what to do.
1: In terms of addressing whether you can compel him to talk to you or if you should go through his daughter, um, it, seem, it seems like right now maybe that might be the best way is to just go through his daughter and see if you can get him to come to an agreement and, and participate in this action. Um, on the contrary, on the other option is to move forward with the default and get these filings done so that, um, you know, you can force the sale of the house. Um, mm-hmm. The house would be one of the things that you list in the, in the default papers. Um, you would describe how, how the house is to be divided or the proceeds from the sale of the house are to, to be divided. And if you have an order of the court from the court forcing the sale of the house, then you may potentially not even need his signature at all.
3: Well, there's also, I'm not sure, if I mean, if this is going to be complicated or not, but, well, actually, let me say this, that his daughter could care less about, you know, for me. So it's yeah. like I text her, I text him, you know, you know, please let me spot because it it's very important, but no response. But during the time he was in the hospital, he, you know, there was always a response between the two of us. But um, but any you know I actually wanted to find out um, we have a first and second trustee on the house and the second trustee actually comes due next year, or excuse me, this year, bloom payment. However, the person that is holding it is the previous owner and he actually, you know, trashed the house. And we pretty much need to come to an agreement on how much we're going to give to the second trustee, which is the previous owner. So i Need to actually, you know, give him the um, the opportunity to find out, you know, about the the second trustee. He has to agree on the price as well, and what we're going to give the second trustee. Correct. Is that so, also within the ex party?
1: So, as you can see, your your case is really complicated and, and has a lot of issues. So, this would be the kind of thing that you would need a much extended interview with with an attorney and mm-hmm. uh, to resolve and create a case plan as to how you're going to attack all these issues because they're so related and, and convoluted that you need a clear mm-hmm. attack strategy to resolve all of it. So I would I would encourage you to, to seek to retain res- uh, representation potentially uh, to help you throughout this process.
3: Okay. All right. Um,
0: Mary, thank I'm Mary? Thank you, well, Mary, thank, thank thank you, you very for... much. All righty. Good night. Mm-hmm. So Raj, that was okay. kind of a complicated matter.
1: That was a complicated matter. Did you have anything you wanted to add to that?
0: No, um, you know, it sounded like they were both in pro per. Neither had an attorney, and uh, I think things are going to get complicated as they move forward.
1: Yeah. You know, this is also emerging in a lot in a lot of the cases that I'm handling too. When when there's an issue of a house, and you know, when one party moves out or one party stays, and and how to uh, go about agreeing on what to be done with that, it's it's one of the more complicated issues because it's a within the marital community, it's the biggest uh, financial piece that most parties have, um, and so it's always advisable to speak with an attorney um a tax professional and your realtor about all the options that you have regarding the regarding the house.
0: Very good, very good advice. You know, um we're running out of time in the last few minutes. I did want to talk a little bit about child support. Tell me what you uh what you know and what you usually tell clients about child support.
1: So, child support is uh, one of the other more contentious issues within a divorce. Um, between the parties, it's it's uh, nobody feels great about um, paying a large sum of money to the other party. You know, sometimes the payor has an emotion tied to um, paying the other party because it seems like an inflated number that the kids don't really need. And um, what parties don't understand sometimes is um, the cost of paying child support or the cost of raising children when you work down to the nitty gritty. Um, you don't realize how expensive it is to to put a family together. Um, What happens in California, thankfully, is there is a uh, software called uh, DittoMaster that both the courts and the attorneys use to help us calculate what child support would be. And we go through a variety of factors, including monthly income, other payments made, Um, insurance, a whole bunch of factors, we plug it into the software and it gives us potentially a baseline for what child support would be. Uh, Parties can agree to increase or decrease that amount or make concessions, but uh, the courts and most attorneys are guided by this software um, that helps us make determinations as to what an appropriate amount of child support would be and also spousal support might be in a case.
0: And, you know, to be fair to the competition, uh, Dyselmaster is what a lot of people use. Hello? Ex-spouse. Hello? I think there are a couple other competitors, but they're all basically software yeah. programs that yeah. attorneys it's, it's, and judges use to uh, compute what the spouse's, excuse me, what the child support is going to be. Yeah, uh, most
1: most attorneys, we... Throw around the term "disoMaster" as a generic, uh, generic term for any software program that one might use to to uh, calculate these things. But there are there are other ones out there. I think DisoMasterNextVal are the two biggest.
0: What do you think about uh, what is the most important thing in a, in the DisoMaster calculation? The two biggest
1: factors are custodial time and uh, income. Uh, which I think are logical in any case. So the things that most greatly affect what your uh, potential liabilities might be or what you might receive in support is based on in large part on your income. And the way that's calculated is, depending on what your visitation time is, it breaks down into a percentage. Uh, that's entered into the software. And then what a person's monthly salary is, for each party is entered into a- another item line and there can be certain discounts taken out for um insurance payments and other uh you know cost of living expenses but basically this software runs the formula per- heavily weighed by those two factors and um
0: gives us a conclusion is there a lot of wrangling that goes on with the fiscal master calculations it seems very straightforward, oh, or at least it should be very – seems like it should be straightforward.
1: It seems like it should be straightforward, and uh, uh, in sort of a unasked-for compliment, Vince is probably one of the best attorneys I've ever seen at going item by item and uh, sort of death by a thousand needle pricks. Um, and I've seen it firsthand. But uh, it can become a highly contentious element between litigating parties as to what's each side, believes believe, should be the appropriate numbers entered into each line. And so uh, people really need to have their financial affairs in order. You've got to have your taxes. You've got to have copies of your pay stubs, have expenses of your bills, and be able to prove each line item and why it's being entered there. And it can become a big issue if it, if the parties go to an evidentiary hearing, being able to show why the number that they desire to be entered into this is the appropriate number. And... Um, so parties need to be really aware of that, and I think I harp on this almost every time I'm on the show. But it's really cr- critical that you keep your faithful work, keep it organized, and have it and have it ready to be reviewed. Because if you can't prove uh, your side of the story, then you know you'll, you're you're going to lose on that point.
0: Have you ever heard of the term pencil whipped?
1: Pencil whipped. <laughs> I think it, uh, you may have used it last week in a meeting.
0: So there's an old, you know, I used to be a a certified public accountant uh, many years ago, and there's an old joke among accountants, and the joke is, what's two plus two? And the answer is, whatever you pay for it to be. (laughs) And the the Disselmaster is, is kind of like that. Because there's so many variables and factors and uh software settings that have to be adjusted or manipulated or massaged. Um, you know you can be easily pencil whipped if you don't know how to use the Disselmaster and don't know, you know, all of the things and the adjustments and the modifications that can be that can be made. Um I Yeah, that
1: I would I would 100% concur with that, Vince.
0: You know, when when we do cases and we have case, uh, attorneys that are um, very experienced attorneys, um, uh, I see the big difference between dealing with it, an attorney on the other side who's not very experienced and um, they just don't know or realize the importance of all the the minor things in the Dissel Master uh software program
1: That's true. You know there's well, was, there's also a joke. Sorry, go, go ahead. ahead. Go ahead. No, I was also I was also going to say that there's another joke amongst attorneys that you know I became an attorney because I was told there would be no math. And that's actually the furthest thing from the truth because um you know one of the things that I've had to become better at it as as I've been an attorney is um understanding uh taxes understanding a tax declaration and filings and uh how each little number within that when put into your when put into your DSO master can can make a big effect so um if an attorney ever tells you that the numbers aren't important or that um you know certain they can't make a justification for why something is in there um I would always advise client- clients to ask them how they got to those conclusions and why those numbers are the way they are. Uh, because it makes a big difference.
0: It can make a big difference. And you know, Raj, uh, tomorrow you and I are going to do a, a hearing on uh, child support, and we are. Uh, and the range in the diso master, I goes from nine thousand and change all the way up to almost fifteen thousand dollars per month, and that's a huge spread when you're looking at per month. For a young child who I think is four years old, and uh, you know our client is facing you know paying child support uh, for the next uh, fourteen years, so you know the the manipulations and the settings and the numbers become very, very important because it results in um, what could be you know very substantial and material. Uh, changes or numbers when having to pay child support don't you agree
1: i agree i agree 100% and so it's going to be uh, a big battle tomorrow and and probably a, a long-winded uh discussion by a team full of attorneys on both sides as to as to which believes their position is the most uh most valid um, so we'll see hopefully the listeners can wish us some luck and we we bring home a good result for our client
0: very good, Raj. We're running out of time. Uh, next Wednesday at 7 p.m., what do you think we should focus on for divorce and family law? Uh, we can
1: cover we can cover a range of topics. Um, maybe we can get into some specific divisions about uh, marital property that's divided. So we'll talk about how to deal with the house. Maybe we'll address this this previous caller's issues. Uh, regarding division of the house and, uh, you know, sort of big property divisions uh, within a a marital community.
0: You know, that's a good idea. Let's do that. Let's do uh, division of assets and debts, talk a little bit about that, as well as take some calls from our audience.
1: Awesome. Looking forward to it, Vince.
0: Thank you for calling in this evening and being my Um, (laughs) co-host. Much appreciated. Before we end our show, I want to give our office telephone number for those in the audience that want to call and set up a free initial consultation. You can reach us at 888-888-6582. That's 888-888-6582. You can also visit our website, which is www.CaliforniaDivorceAttorney.co. That's correct, .co, not .com. California californiadivorceattorney.co. When you talk to us in the first initial consultation, we'll tell you there are three different ways we can represent you. One is a lower cost, limited scope uh, representation. where We prepare certain paperwork and you attend the court on your own. Though there is the moderate cost, limited scope, we prepare certain papers and we attend the court with you or there's the higher-cost, full-scope representation where we handle everything. So please give us a call at 888-888-6582. We look forward to handling and helping you with all your family law law needs. Uh, We'll see you next week, Wednesday, at 7 p.m. for Divorce and Family Law Talk Radio Show with Attorney Vincent Davis and Attorney Raj Matani. Good night.
3: Bert, what's up?
0: What's up, big dog? How you doing? Everything okay? Yeah.
1: Checking on my man. He's got a couple things going on, so. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on Chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino